RadioInfluence.com. This is Beyond the Badge on Radio Influence. A look inside the biggest and most controversial news stories you need to know now. One of the country's most relied upon law enforcement analysts, Vincent Hill. Good evening and welcome to Beyond the Badge. Of course, I am your host, Vincent Hill. Today is Wednesday, March the 6th, 2019. That's right, we're already in March. Unfortunately, we don't have any warm weather to show for it. I'm up here in New York. I've been here for the last couple of days. It's only 19 degrees right now. Uh, so although it's March, it should be getting close to springtime. It's still cold here. I'm waiting for it to uh, warm up. I'm about to get on a plane here in a couple of hours to head back to Atlanta. But dang it, it's cold there. So, uh, man, it's March, but we need to get to it. Now, the reason I'm up here in New York, I've been up here for the last couple of days covering the Newman Raja trial. Newman Raja, a former Florida police officer on trial for killing Corey Jones. He's charged with manslaughter and attempted murder. That's right, attempted murder, although Corey Jones uh, was shot and killed back on October 18, 2015 by Newman Now, this is not your typical police shooting, and I'll get to that, and I'm not talking from a race standpoint. Uh, but first, I want to send a special hello, a special shout-out to Maria Barber on Twitter. She actually uh, followed me last week, tweeted me, and said, hey, I'm listening to my very first episode of Beyond the Badge. So I appreciate that. Um, and she also said she appreciated or she liked the way I actually analyzed and broke down the Newman Raja trial. And that's what we do here on Law and Crime, or sorry, on Beyond the Badge. Um, you know, the whole, I've been here for a couple of days and I anchored for five hours yesterday. So Law and Crime's on the brain, but this is Beyond the Badge. That's what we do here on Beyond the Badge. We break down cases from a police point of view and we try to keep it simple. We don't want to use big terms. We don't want to make people feel silly. We just keep it simple from a police point of view. Now, Newman Raja, uh, part two, I guess you could say, since we talked about this last week, the jury, as the time of this taping, is deliberating about the fate of Newman Raja. Again, he's, t- he's charged with manslaughter and attempted murder of Corey Jones. Now, to give the background, uh, Newman Raja, former uh, Palm Beach Garden police officer, Corey Jones, stranded motorist. That's right, stranded motorist. And that's why I say this is not a typical police shooting, because Corey Jones was not out committing a crime. There was no call uh, to 911 saying that someone matching Corey Jones' description was committing a crime. So um, quick background, Corey Jones broken down on the side of the road, 3.30 in the morning. He's approached by Newman Raja in an unmarked Ford Econo white van. Uh, Newman Raja exits in some jeans, a T-shirt inside out, and claims that he said, hey, police, may I help you? And at which point, when he said the word police, Corey Jones pulled a gun on him. Now, what Newman Raja did not know was that Corey Jones, again, who was a stranded motorist, was on the phone with AT&T roadside assistance. And that call, of course, is recorded. You know, they say oh, this call may be recorded it for recorded for quality or training purposes. It's usually uh, the quality purposes, but it's sometimes the training. Uh, but, you know, any call that's recorded like that can be used for evidence. So Roger says he identified himself as a police officer. Corey Jones put a gun on him, at which time he shot. And originally, Corey uh, Newman Roger attempted stand your ground. The judge threw that out, sent it to trial. So that's where we are right now. 
the reason he's charged with the manslaughter, the prosecution is saying that Newman Rogers' actions on that day were reckless, which is a component of manslaughter and the attempted murder because there were two volleys of shots. Each volley had three shots. So three shots. I played the audio last week. A 10-second pause, three more shots. Now, during the trial, the medical examiners took the stand for both prosecution and the defense. And one side, the prosecution was saying that once Corey Jones was shot in the heart, because he was shot through the chest, which exploded his heart, he wouldn't have been able to run. He wouldn't have been able to do anything. He would have died within seconds. The defense called a medical examiner themselves that said, Actually, he could have ran for several yards because the gun was found 20 yards from his car. The quarry was found 60 yards. So the medical examiner for the defense said, yes, he could have ran that far, meaning, according to the defense, Newman, uh, Corey Jones could have still been a threat to Newman Raja. Um, but all science aside, what it comes down to was, did uh, Corey Jones know Newman Raja was a police officer? Now, keep in mind, Corey Jones was not committing a crime. He was just a stranded motorist. So I want you to do one thing for me uh, here in the next couple of seconds. And I want to take a quote from Matthew McConaughey in A Time to Kill, where he told the jury to close their eyes. So imagine it's three in the morning. You've been broken down on the side of the road for three plus hours. This van undescript white van. You're on an exit ramp, mind you, on an exit ramp, not an on-ramp. You're on an exit ramp. So this van comes up the wrong way up the exit ramp at a high rate of speed, pulls in front of you, and some guy in jeans and a t-shirt jumps out. Would you think that that individual was a police officer? Because a logical, rational person would believe that a police officer, unless it was a case of an extreme emergency, would not shoot up the wrong way on an exit ramp and block a car in like that. So outside of the, the, the medical science, outside of the fact that Newman Rogers swore, and he even said, I can swear on this in his video statement, I can swear on this, there was a laser sight on the gun. Whether Corey Jones had a laser sight, whether he had the Jimenez 380, whether he had an M16, an M203, an AK-47, whatever Corey Jones had, it comes down to, did Corey Jones know he was a police officer? And I will say, no, he didn't. Because Newman Raja claims in his video statement, and even during his 911 call, that I said, hey, I, well, in the 911 call, he says, I identified myself as a police officer, and the guy pulled a gun on me. In his video statement that he gave several hours later, he says, and he said it a few times, I said, hey, man, police, can I help you? Hey, police, can I help you? Hey, police, can I help you? So the defense called this audio video expert who enhanced the audio, supposedly. And I played the audio last week, but it essentially goes like this. Corey Jones is on the phone with AT&T roadside assistance. Again, it's recorded. You can hear Corey Jones open his car door. I believe that's because he saw this van approaching from the wrong way on the exit ramp. And he didn't know if he needed to get ready to jump out or what was going on. Then you can hear on the audio, Corey Jones say, huh? Then you can hear Raja say, you good? Corey Jones replies, yeah, I'm good. Raja, really? And the next thing you hear is, drop the fucking gun, put your fucking hands up. And then you hear Corey Jones say, hold on, hold on. And then a few seconds later, three shots, 10 seconds pass, 
three more shots. So the, the fence called in this audio guy and he's like, mm, I enhanced the audio and you can clearly hear the voice identified as Newman Rodgers saying something before Corey says, huh? And it's at least at least four syllables. Now, I wasn't the best in algebra, geometry, trigonometry, but I, damn, I know two plus two. So I know if Raja says he stated, hey, police, may I help you? That's seven syllables, not four. And it's still not determined what he said. So what he could have said was, what's going on or what are you doing or something to that effect. But the, what he did not say, and, and Newman Roger even said, I said it loudly so he could hear me. Well, if we can hear you say, you good? Really? And all of this other stuff. If you said it as loud as he claims, I think we would have heard that on the audio. So it really comes down to, listen, did Corey Jones know Newman Roger was a police officer? And I say no. Now, the defense did this dramatic moment in court where he raised his hand like he was holding a gun and he said and this is where Corey Jones was shot in the chest because it entered his side went through his chest exploded his heart and he said and that's when Roger pulled the gun because according to Roger Corey Jones turned and still had the gun in his hand and pointed towards him so let's play devil's advocate for just a second let's say Corey Jones did indeed do that the problem is Corey Jones was not aware Again, put yourself in those shoes. Corey Jones was not aware Newman Roger was a police officer. Corey Jones likely thought he was being robbed. Then let's flip it on the other side. The gun was found one spot. Corey was found in another spot. Maybe Newman Roger assumed Corey still had the gun, or maybe Corey just turned around and was like to check to see if this guy was still chasing him because he's in his truck, broken down. The guy shows up with a hat, an inside-out T-shirt, and jeans, and the next thing you know, the guy's asking, are you good? When he said, yeah, I'm good, I don't know why the response would be really versus, oh, okay, well, I was just checking on you. Or at that point, reiterate the fact that you're a police officer. You good? Yeah, I'm good. Really? And it wasn't like really like, oh, okay, it was like really as in a question. So at that point, why didn't Newman Roger just say, Okay, well, again, I'm a police officer. Let me get on the radio to see if I can get you a tow truck or something like that. And then what what has always troubled me, again, it goes back to Newman Rogers saying, I said police loudly. What has always troubled me, if someone says, hey, police, may I help you? I don't think your response is, huh? I think your response would be more on the lines of, oh, okay, I appreciate it, officer, but I'm already on the phone with roadside assistance. They're talking to me right now. Let me finish up with this call. But if you can call a tow truck faster than them, that'll be great. Or if you can give me a ride down the street, that'll be great. Or something along those lines. But typically when, when at least in my experience, when I told someone, hey, I'm a police officer, they didn't respond with, huh. And the only thing I can think about if, if and I'm a huge if, because even with the, the enhanced audio, it's a huge if. I, I still don't believe Newman Rogers said that. But if Corey Jones heard Newman Rogers say, hey, police, may I help you, which is not four syllables, by the way, his response of, huh, would be, what? Like, huh? Oh, you're the you're the police, but you're in this, let's do the child molester van and 
you come up the street the wrong way and you're in jeans and you're in a t-shirt and you're in a baseball cap, you're the police, huh? Like, huh? Does that even make sense? So if, big if, Corey Jones did hear that, he's still thinking, this dude's not a cop. Because think about this. Go back in, in history. Google it. I don't care. Do what you got to do. How many women have been raped by individuals pulling up to them on the side of the road in an unmarked car in plain clothes saying they were the police? How many people have been robbed by people in plain clothes saying they were the police? So even if Newman Roger did say, police, may I help you? I think Corey's response still would have been the same. And Corey, as a citizen who had a legal gun, even if it wasn't a legal gun at that point, Corey, who felt an imminent fear of his life, had every right to pull his gun out. Now, the sad part is, well, I don't know if it's sad, but we'll, we'll, we'll get to the what ifs. Corey Jones didn't know how to operate the gun. He had just bought it. He never fired a shot. But let's flip the script. Let's say same situation, same exact situation. Corey Jones is trained in firearms, gets to drop on Raja. What do you think the fallout would be when they found out Raja was a cop? What, think about that. What do you think the fallout would be once they found out Raja was a cop? But the saving grace for Corey Jones would have been, hey, dude, this guy pulled up to me on the wrong way, coming up the wrong way on an exit ramp. And this van that doesn't say police gets out of his car. Nothing says police. He starts reaching in his daggone waistband. So I shot him. And what would have saved Corey Jones would have been that same roadside assistance call that the defense wants the jury to believe. Newman Rogers said, hey, police, may I help you? Or even the audio guy that they hired says, well, I can't make out what he's saying. So if it picked up every other word that Newman Rogers said, and if his story is true, then it would have picked up the fact that he says, I said, hey, police, may I help you? And I said it loudly, but we don't hear that in there. So uh, another thing that troubles me with Newman Rogers, and yes, this is beyond the badge, and you know, that 99.9% of the time I support my fellow brothers and sisters in blue, but right is right and wrong is wrong. I really believe Newman Roger was doing something he shouldn't have been done. And the reason I say that doing something he shouldn't have been doing, the reason I say that is his sergeant even testified that I don't know why he was in plain clothes because at roll call, they call it lineup, but most police departments call it roll call at roll call. He was in uniform. So I was surprised when I showed up and he was not in uniform because no one had given him instructions to change. But from the beginning of his video statement, he's like, I was told to dress down because we were having a rash of burglaries. So my job was to just stake places out. And he even goes on to say, Newman Roger, if I saw anything, I wasn't supposed to get out. I suppose to call a mark unit. So if I saw a suspicious vehicle or anything like that, I suppose to call a mark unit. Well, one of the problems I have with that is he says, well, I thought it was just an abandoned vehicle. Okay. Well, if you thought that and you're on this burglary sting and you're told not to do anything until you call a mark unit and get out if you need to assist, if you only thought that it was an abandoned vehicle, what is the rush to turn around, go up the interstate the wrong way? To, to to identify that. I believe he saw Corey Jones in that car, in that SUV when he passed by. And he's like, oh, I need to find out what this guy's doing. Let me turn around really quick. And if I go and get back on 95 northbound and have to go 
a mile down to the next exit and turn around and come in behind him, he's going to get away. But again, he still, even if that's the case, which I truly believe, because hell, I've done that job. I've been in patrol where you see something, you're like, oh, let me swing around and check and see what that is. Even if that was the case, he was told, do not get out of your car, call a mark unit. And the number one rule, and they even had a sergeant of Raja testified, it says, would, it, would Raja have put his life in danger by getting out of the car, an unmarked car with nothing identifying him as a police officer? Yes. Yeah, he would have. Because again, anybody at three in the morning, black, white, male, female, fat, skinny, Asian, Hispanic, Chinese, Indian, Somalian, alien, cat, dog, anybody at 3.30 in the morning, when they see a car coming up the wrong side of the interstate at a high rate of speed and pulling in front of them, they're going to be in fear of their life. So when that sergeant testified that said, yeah, Raja put himself in danger by doing that, he absolutely did. He absolutely did. And I think what the jury is going to focus on, there was a lot of inconsistencies with Raja's statement between his 911 call, his video statement that he gave four hours uh, later, like in the 911 call, for instance, he says, first, I got a man down. Then he says, he's hit three to four times. Then he says, I've lost sight of him. Okay. Playing devil's advocate, he's hit three to four times. He could still run. I get that. He may have lost sight of him. I get that. But just four hours later, when he gives his video statement, which essentially like it's sworn affidavit as far as I'm concerned, because it's on video. You can't change that crap. Once it's recorded, it's done. When he's asked by one of the investigators, hey, could you tell if he was hit? Nah, I, I couldn't, couldn't tell if he was hit. Well, did he flinch? Did he say ouch or anything? No, no, I couldn't tell if he was hit. Well, how can you positively tell the dispatcher he's hit at least three to four times? He was actually hit three times. But you tell the investigator you couldn't tell he was hit. And, and another thing I have a problem with, again, there was uh, two young ladies staying at the hotel, Doubletree, which was right off the exit. One of them called 911. One of them said they saw the man with the gun on the cell phone, which we know is Roger, backing up. So part of his st statement is true. But what he left out, according to her in the 911 call, is that Newman Raja went inside the silver SUV. Now, the silver SUV was Corey Jones. So there's several minutes that go by before Raja's backup shows up. So why would he go inside that vehicle at that exact moment? Because he knows there's no one else in the vehicle. It's clear. He says he was worried about an active shooter situation. So he didn't need to go in that vehicle at all. And he never, ever, ever, because... Again, he not only did he not know about the AT&T roadside assistance call, he definitely didn't know that someone was watching out of their hotel window. So at that particular moment, Newman Raja had no need to go inside that car because he told investigators, hey, I think I had a, ha, still have an active shooter. Uh, I got back in my van. I got my radio. But he left out the part that he went inside Corey Jones SUV. And to me, I think that's huge. That's huge. And there were a lot of when he's telling, giving this account, there's a lot of and um, um, I'm thinking um, and everything. Those are statements you really don't. If, if you're recalling something that happened, 
and you're not trying to add to what happened, you should be able to recite it like the Pledge of Allegiance or like your favorite favorite uh, Bible verse. You know, John 3.16, if you know that, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. If I know it, if it's something that I've lived through, I shouldn't have to pause and um tick, 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 and um tick, tick, and everything, and um tick, 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 uh, I'm thinking. The thing about traumatic events, you ask any police officer, and I had this conversation with one of the people here at Long Crime today. The thing about policing, there's a lot of stuff you'll come across, you'll you'll forget. A lot of people you'll meet, you'll forget. Like, even if they came up to you, you're like, hey, you remember me? You stopped me one day and you let me go. And you may smile and like, yeah, I remember. Bullshit. You don't remember. But the things you don't forget are the ones that make your butthole pucker up. Those life and death situations where it's like zero to 100, just like that. You don't forget it. You don't have to say and um, you don't have to say you don't have to add in words that suggest you're being deceitful, like and everything like like, you know, I'm telling the truth is essentially the same thing. I can tell you every pursuit I got in. True story. I can't. I can tell you every fight I got in. I've talked about them here on Beyond the Badge several times. Any situation where I've been in, and you ask any police officer, any situation that they've been in that was life and death at that moment, you don't forget it. And you definitely don't four hours later have to say, and, um, and, um, and, um, I'm thinking it's just impossible. But now I want to talk about a few things the jury probably didn't know of. Well, they, they may have because this jury wasn't sequestered and, you know, like the OJ jury where they had to stay in a hotel and had no communication with the outside world. And I want to talk about this because I personally think it's important. Now, Newman Raja had only been with the Palm Beach Gardens Police Department since April 2015. The shooting happened in October. Before that, he was with uh, Atlanta's police department, which I guess is one of the surrounding areas there. Now, anytime you see police officers going from department to department, if you know the job, you really have to question it, um, especially when you're in a position where you're making more money than what you're willing to accept going to a new department. Newman Roger was a sergeant at Atlanta's police uh, making, I believe, close to 70 a year. He started here making 50. So you're looking at a $20,000 pay cut. And according to his application, because I've seen his personnel file, he wanted to advance his policing career. Well, you don't advance it by going from sergeant back down to patrolman that's on probation because he was still on a probationary period with uh, Palm, Palm Beach Garden Police Department. That's not how you advance your career. You're, you advance your career by getting promoted to lieutenant and then captain at the department you're at. And then maybe assistant chief. Or maybe you go from Atlanta's police to the FBI or the ATF or something like that. When you're, when you're looking at a $20,000 pay cut, you have to question it. So I did, did some digging and I'm just going to say it. I don't believe Newman Rogers should have been a police officer. I liken him to George Zimmerman. And of course, people made that about race and it was in Florida and they talked about staying your ground. Had nothing to do with it. What it had to do with, just like George Zimmerman, someone that's probably a little too overzealous who shouldn't have been in the position he's in. Now, of course, when shootings happen or anytime, really, police personnel records are public record. 
So looking at his past department, uh, he had a few verbal warnings, which I think one of them should have gotten fired. Now, the first, he says he was in a pursuit, an authorized pursuit, and his sergeant told him to stop, and he stopped. And he said, but two weeks later, he was given a verbal warning because during the pursuit, he identified the individual, but he did not stop the pursuit until he was towed to. Uh, now, I lost count of how many pursuits I've been in in my life, but, and I can check the department policy. It's typically not policy or even practice. Well, I know who the guy is, so I'm going to stop the pursuit now, and I'll just get warrants later. Now, you can do that, of course, but you typically don't do it. So the fact that he said, well, it was an authorized pursuit, uh, but two weeks later I got written up because I identified the person during the pursuit, but I didn't stop the pursuit. He's being untruthful about something. He's leaving something out. And that's what he put on his job application to the Palm Beach Gardens Police Department. Now, another thing on that application, are you applying for the role of a police officer at any other agency? Yes. Palm Beach County Sheriff's Office. So that's telling me he was looking to leave Atlanta, uh, Atlantis, not Atlanta, Atlantis police, not because he wanted to advance his career, but there was something else going on. So as you look deeper in his personnel file, on one occasion, he, he's got a problem with plain clothes. In one occasion, he actually went to a female's house. Now, this female was the wife of another officer. Roger is off duty. This guy is on administrative leave because his wife had filed domestic abuse charges against him. So Raja and this guy go to his wife's house. Raja's off duty in plain clothes. They go in while this guy starts moving stuff out. Now, the problem with that, well, there's a few problems, but the, the, the biggest problem is this guy had an order of protection out against him from his wife. So Raja assisted him in violating an order of protection. Now, if you flip the script and Raja was on duty and got a call for someone violating an order of protection, he would arrest that person. They would spend 10 days in jail for violation of the order of protection. But as a sworn police officer who was off duty, who shouldn't have acted in an official capacity because that's essentially what it was when he went over there to help this guy get his stuff out, was given a written warning. I think... Because of that violation of order protection, you can't, first of all, you can't take domestic violence lightly. And let's say that the guy would have got over there. Hey, Raj, hey, man, let's just go over here. I'm going to get my stuff out. All right, cool. Let's go, man. So let's say the guy got over there and decided to blow his wife's brains out. And then what would Newman Raja say or do? Like, because I'm sure investigators would be like, what the hell are you even doing over here? And why are you helping him? violate this order of protection. So me personally, I think Newman Rogers should have been fired for that. And I am willing to bet that there's something in that file or there's something within Atlantis Police Department where Newman Rogers was told, hey man, either uh, you need to uh, resign or we're going to let you go. Now, if you resign, the thing is, you don't get terminated. You can go anywhere. Because if you resign, it's really not in your personnel file as a termination. It's just that you resign. So I truly believe Newman Raja was on the way out the door at that department, which is why he went somewhere else. And at the end of the day, Newman Raja said it best during his video statement. I got caught with my pants down 
and I violated something I even teach. I should have assumed the vehicle was occupied. And like I said, I believe he knew the vehicle was occupied and he turned around to see what Corey Jones was up to because he just thought he had a criminal. And like I said, that part I get because hell at three in the morning when I was in patrol, I've spun around really quick on something that I, I thought was suspicious or I wanted to look at. But don't come out in a video statement saying, oh, I just thought it was an abandoned vehicle. I was going to pull in front of it to get the tag to tell a tow, uh, dispatch to send a tow truck. That, my friend, in my opinion, is bullshit. You should have just said, I saw the guy standing there in the car. I wanted to check it out, see what the heck he was doing because he's just sitting on the on-ramp. And that's when things escalated. But don't make up. Don't embellish, which is what I think he did because – the minute you said, well, I thought it was just an abandoned vehicle, followed by, and I was told not to get out on anyone, but to call a mark unit, tells me that you swung around on Corey Jones because you thought he was up to no good. And like I said, I get that part. You thought he was up to no good, and you wanted to see what he was doing. But, you know, I can talk about this all day, but it's not for me to talk about. It's for the jury to decide what they want his his fate to be. And again, at the time... This recording, the jury is deliberating. Uh, the defense actually only presented evidence for about a day. The prosecution presented evidence for uh, about a week, actually. So, um, you know, as, as I get an update, of course, I will talk about it here on Beyond the Badge because that's what we do. And I like to keep you informed and I like to break it down in a way that everybody can understand. And like I said at the top of the show. Close your eyes and imagine yourself on the side of the road, broken down, and this Lester, the molester van shows up, coming out the wrong way, and this guy gets out in jeans and a t-shirt, and you're armed, you're legally armed, what are you going to do? What are you going to think if this guy gets out on you? And I think that's what Corey Jones thought. All right, I'm out of time. I got to get ready to get out of here, get ready to catch a plane, among other things. I want to thank you for your few minutes here listening to me ramble, uh, but first, time for my 10-7 segment. Uh, Nathan Hyden Hildeberg, uh, police officer with the Midland Police Department, Texas, in the watch, uh, was Tuesday, yesterday, March 5th, 2019. Here's a story you didn't hear. Um, police officer Nathan Hildeberg was shot and killed while responding to a burglary alarm a residence at 3306 Eagle Cove in Midland, Texas. Officer Hildeberg, a probationary officer, uh, he was training, and two other officers had responded to the alarm call at 2.30 a.m. They were at the open front door making loud announcements, identifying themselves when the homeowner opened fire towards the flashlight. Officer Hildeberg was holding. Officer Hildeberg was struck by a round above his vest. He was transported to a local hospital where he succumbed to his wounds at 8.30 a.m. The homeowner who shot him was arrested and charged with manslaughter. Officer Hildeberg had served with the Midlands Police Department for five years. Wow, that sounds similar to uh, the case we were just talking about. The only difference is these uh, police officers were in uniform and they were given commands that said they were the police. And the homeowner probably still didn't believe that they were the police. All they saw was a flashlight because it even says the homeowner shot towards the flashlight. So imagine, imagine a guy with some raggedy jeans and a shirt inside out 
saying he's the police. How are you going to respond? All right. I want to thank you for listening so much. I'll see you same time, same place next week, right here at RadioInfluence.com. Good night. To continue the conversation, get updates on the show, and to find out when you can see him on television, follow Vincent on Twitter at Vincent Hill TV. That's at Vincent Hill TV. This has been Beyond the Badge on Radio Influence. This is an Ian Beckles flavor in your ear quick fix on Radio Influence. For anybody out there who's religious, and I, I'm okay with people being religious. I really am. I'm not religious. Uh, I'm okay with people being religious, all right? If you do it the right way and you're not a hypocrite, which is probably 98% of religious people, unfortunately. When 28 priests in Iowa are accused of sexually abusing children, uh, dating back to the way back to the, going back to the 40s. And I mean, there, there was just one after another. And this is one state. OK, this is stuff that's been happening in our in our country, in our world forever. And they're allowing it. I have a good idea. Let me listen closely. How about we abolish priests? What would happen? What would happen? Oh, why don't you just let priests sleep with women instead of touching boys? Is that crazy? What are we accomplishing by not allowing priests to sleep with women? I don't get that at all. That's not a natural human thing. It's not natural. Let priests sleep with women or men, but grownups and stop abusing children. And let's stop having people, the higher ups, allow this to happen. That's what's happening in our world, our whole world. And the the higher up they go, they're more they're they're enabling this damn thing. All right. So I'm just tell, I'm just saying that's that's all I'm gonna get out of, off my chest. But what I see I, every week, it seems I gotta watch these stupid stories of priests uh, uh, molesting children. How many lives have they ruined? How many lives have they ruined throughout the years? Come on! You can find Ian Beckles' flavor in your ear on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, and RadioInfluence.com.